Thank you, Anne. If you were here with us last week, you know that we began to take a journey uh, through Acts, Acts 17, specifically the story of how the Apostle Paul started the church in Thessalonica. Thessalonica is a port city, as you can see from the map here, and it was the capital of Macedonia. And uh, you can see it was on the Aegean Sea. As you may recall from last week's uh, discussion of uh, uh, Paul's journey, his second missionary journey, he uh, went from Troas to Philippi. And while he was in Philippi, uh, he uh, continued to preach the gospel, but then eventually he was arrested and flogged and he had to leave Philippi. And so he traveled with his missionary companions from Philippi to Thessalonica, where he began to preach the gospel in the synagogue there, as was his custom. And fortunately, many people came to faith through Paul's preaching in Thessalonica. But unfortunately, some Jews became jealous and they drove Paul out of Thessalonica where he had to go and flee to Berea. And of course, we read a little section about Berea. And Berea was a a wonderful town where the people searched the scriptures daily. And as Paul would go to the synagogue in Berea and share the word of God with them, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ, that the Christ had to suffer and die as we read about in Isaiah 53 last week, uh, people came to faith and the Bereans were faithful. But unfortunately, some jealous Jews from Thessalonica show up in Berea and they begin to stir the crowds in Berea. And once again, Paul has to flee Berea and he goes to Athens. He begins to preach in Athens, as you can read about in Acts 17. But all the while he's preaching in Athens, he's worried about and concerned about that fledgling church, that church that he began in Thessalonica wondering if their faith is going to be strong enough to endure, wondering if they will be able to have a faith that lasts and stands the test of time. While he's in Athens, he decides to send Timothy, one of his missionary companions, a son in the faith, to Thessalonica. Go check on those Thessalonians. Let's check on them and see how they're doing. Well, while Paul or Timothy is in, uh, in, in Thessalonica, uh, Paul hears God's call to go to Corinth. And so he heads to Corinth, begins to preach to Corinth. And all the while he's in Corinth, he's again wondering about those Thessalonians, wondering if in the midst of the persecution that they're experiencing, will they have the faith to endure? Does our faith have the strength to endure? Because the fact is that, well, this life can be difficult. We live in a fallen and broken world where good things often happen, uh, where bad things often happen to good people. Life was difficult for Paul. Life was difficult for the Thessalonians as they faced persecution together. Sometimes life can be very difficult. We may not experience the same type of persecution that Paul and the Thessalonians experienced back then, but life is still very hard in very different ways for all of us. The unexpected layoff comes, and we feel shocked, rejected, and uncertain. The marriage ends. We feel hurt betrayed and angry. The loved one dies and we feel grief, pain, and anguish. Life can be really, really hard at times. Personally, I found it hard to watch, I always find it hard to watch someone suffer. I would rather go through suffering than have to watch someone I love go through suffering. And lately, I've had to watch a lot of that with my dad. I know that many of you have had to battle cancer. You've had to walk alongside someone who had to battle cancer. And and cancer can be devastating, but the treatment can be just as devastating as it leads you to, you know, all kinds of forms of nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, constipation, just everything. In fact, my dad, during her first, first round of chemo, lost 14 pounds in one week. 
Now, we've been telling our dad he needs to lose weight for years, but this was not the way we wanted that to happen. It's very difficult to watch someone you love go through a hard time. And unfortunately for us, a few weeks ago, it seemed to go from bad to worse when he fell and broke his leg, and now he's going through rehab, learning how to walk again. It's hard to watch someone we love go through difficult times. I imagine it was difficult for the Apostle Paul to to know all the members of that early church in Thessalonica and after having brought them to Christ, to faith in Christ, to see them experience persecution right away. I mean, Paul knows firsthand how painful and difficult persecution can be and he must have been worried and concerned about those Thessalonians. Are they gonna have the faith to endure, to persevere? Do we have the faith necessary to persevere? Well, fortunately, when... Timothy returned from Thessalonica and eventually found his way to Corinth where Paul was. He gave a a glowing report about the faith of the Thessalonians, that they had truly had a, a faith that was worth imitating as they had endured great persecution, but they continued to stay strong in the faith. As they had turned from idols, as, as Anne read just a moment ago, you know, idolatry is one of the sins that we're supposed to resist in the Ten Commandments. They had turned from the idols of culture, the idols of the imperial uh, uh, leaders, and they had begun to follow God faithfully, following Christ. The Thessalonians had proven to have a faith that was worth imitating. And so Paul offers this letter, this letter to, this first letter to the Thessalonians as a word of encouragement to keep, help encourage them to keep on keeping on so that we might hear those same words of encouragement today so that we might have the faith that will endure. I would encourage you to turn to 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter one. It may be found on page 1255 of your Red Pew Bible. 1 Thessalonians chapter one. But before I read God's word, let's call upon his spirit again to guide us in the reading and preaching of his word. Please join me as you pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you that Paul was able to put pen to paper to write this letter of encouragement, exhortation to the church in Thessalonica. God, as we begin this journey in this letter, Lord, we pray that you might speak to us, that we might hear from you, that we might find encouragement as we face different challenges in our life today. God, we thank you for your spirit. We pray that your spirit would open our eyes, open our ears, and open our hearts. Pray that by your spirit that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts might be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your son's precious name we pray and all God's people said, amen. First Thessalonians chapter one, beginning with verse one. Listen to the word of the Lord. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you. 
and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Here ends the reading of God's word as the prophet Isaiah tells us, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. In his commentary on 1 Thessalonians, John Calvin says of verse 3 that we gather a brief de- definition of true Christianity in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. John Calvin, the founder of the Presbyterian Church, that in this verse we find and we gather a brief definition of true Christianity. New Testament scholar and Anglican priest John Stott writes that Calvin did not exaggerate when he called verse 3 a brief definition of true Christianity. New Testament scholars all agree that this familiar triad of faith, hope, and love that are mentioned in verse 3 characterize the essence of the God-given life in Christ because they speak to the great motivators of those who are in Christ. Faith, hope, and love prove to be our great motivators in our walk with God. For as Paul points out in verse 3, faith leads to work, love leads to labor, and hope leads to steadfastness. Paul begins his letter by celebrating the work, labor, and steadfastness of the Thessalonians. In the work work of faith that Paul is celebrating is that they have received the word of God with conviction, turned from idols to worship the one true God, and now they are proclaiming the word of God to others. Their work is their proclamation of the good news of Christ. That they were chosen by God, they received the word of God, and now they are proclaiming that word so that it echoes out into all areas of Macedonia and Achaia. The labor of love that Paul is celebrating in this letter is that they have received the word of God and God's love has now begun to flow through them to others as they receive others who who work and labor for the Lord. Very similar to our church when we bring a missionary here, one of the many missionaries that we sponsor and they come here, you know, we we host them and we we have meals with them, we encourage them, we pray for them and we, we seek to hear what God is doing in their ministry to let them know that we love them and that we will walk alongside them and I know that uh, on uh, the first weekend of October, we'll have Billy Swan from Ireland coming back to share God's word with us on World Communion Sunday as we can celebrate what God's doing in and through his ministry. Finally, Paul is celebrating the fact that their hope in the return of Christ has allowed them to endure, to remain steadfast, as the ESV says, despite the fact they have received affliction because of their newfound faith in Jesus. I really like the way the NIV translates verse 2 to 3 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. It says, we always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Clearly, the Thessalonians have had a faith that is worth imitating, for they imitated Paul as Paul imitated Jesus. They have proven to be faithful. Their faith, their love, and hope are producing the fruit of good works, joyful labor, and faithful endurance. How can we make sure that our faith produces the same kind of good work so that the word of God echoes from us? 
So the love of God flows through us so that ultimately we have the kind of hope that will endure no matter the challenges we may face in this life. How can we make sure that we have the same kind of faith, hope, and love? Well, Hebrews 11 defines faith this way. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. Let's say that together. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, when Paul is talking about the different spiritual gifts that people have, he actually talks about how faith is a gift, a gift from God. And we actually know from the, the very words of Jesus that, well, that God is the one who gives us faith to believe. God is the one who brings us to him. In John 6, verse 44, Jesus says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It's God the Father sending his Holy Spirit to to draw us to him. Just ask the Apostle Paul. He knows that it was ultimately God who brought him to faith in Christ. It wasn't Paul's intention to become a Christian while he was on the road to Damascus to go and persecute Christians, but God in his sovereign will chose Paul, blinded him on that road, revealed himself to him, And Jesus said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. And Paul's heart was forever changed. Yes, Paul's eyes were opened by the Holy Spirit to who Jesus really is, the great I am, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And the New Testament helps us see that, well, that if we lack faith, if we don't have enough faith, that we should pray for faith because faith is ultimately a gift. Like the father in the gospel of Mark chapter 9, you may remember the story from Sunday school. In Mark chapter 9, there's a father who has a son who is controlled by an evil, unclean spirit. And the father asks the disciples of Jesus, could you cast out this unclean spirit? And they try desperately, but they're unable to do so. And so then this father in desperation comes up to Jesus and says, I brought them, my son, to your uh, disciples, but they were unable to cast out this unclean spirit. If you can do anything, please have compassion upon us. Well, Jesus responds by that comment, if you can. He says, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. And the father in desperation responds, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. If we feel that our faith is wavering or that maybe we're weak in our faith at times, we need to pray as this father did and say, Lord, help my faith. I believe, help my unbelief. If we lack faith, we need to ask God to to give us more faith. And we need to turn to his written word. For as Paul writes in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, he says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. If we want to grow in our faith, then we need to grow in our knowledge of God's word. We need to read God's word and we need to listen to God's word. Every time I mow the lawn, uh, I mowed it yesterday, I'm listening to sermons. I listen to one by uh, John Ortberg and another one by Tim Keller. It takes me about an hour to mow my lawn, so I get two sermons in. It's a real effective use of time. But it's a great thing to do. In fact, if you ever want to listen to a sermon that maybe you missed here, you can uh, download our app and we have all of our sermons on there. You can always go online. But just to hear the word of God repeated. To read the word God of God daily allows us to begin to see the world through the lens of Scripture so that we might have the faith to see what God is doing, so that we might recognize that God is with us, even in the hard times, that he will never leave us nor forsake us. This is Paul writes in verse 2 to 3 in the NIV, we always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers 
We remember before our God and our Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love. Labor prompted by love. Now in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul provides a beautiful description of what love is. I'm sure if you've been to a wedding, you've heard 1 Corinthians 13. In fact, it's a safe bet that the groom or the bride are going to pick 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, And so as we read that beautiful description of love that we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 to 8, we read, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Love never ends. In 1 John 4, we are told that love comes from God, that God is love. This love, this patient, kind, gentle love, it ultimately originates from God. God is love. In fact, in John 3.16, we are told that it was love that motivated God to send his son to the world. Let's all read that together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. To grow in our love for others, we simply need to turn to Christ. We need to grow in our knowledge of God's love. Specifically, we need to turn to the cross of Christ because Jesus tells us in John 15, no greater love is there than this than a man who is willing to die for his friends. And if God loves us so much, shouldn't we be able to love others the same unconditional, sacrificial love that God has shown us? In fact, John the Apostle writes in his letter in 1 John chapter 4, 9 to 11, he says, in this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God loves us, we also ought to love one another. When we remember how much God loves us at the cross of Christ, if we remember how much God forgives us, as Will pointed out earlier, how can we not help but forgive those who have hurt us? How many times has God forgiven us? Seven times? How about seven times? 70 million times. And so how many times should we be willing to forgive those who have hurt us? Jesus says, not seven times, but seven times, 70 times. As those who have received God's love, as those who have received God's grace, we should always be willing to be an instrument of his love and grace, to share that love and grace and forgiveness to others. As the church in Thessalonica was welcoming to to Timothy and to Paul and those who brought the word of God and, and sought to be an example of God's love as they imitated Paul, who was sacrificial in his love for others, as Paul imitated Jesus, who was sacrificial in his love for others. He says, Paul receives the report of the love of the Thessalonians, of the work of the Thessalonians as they are not only loving and sharing the word of God through both word and deed, but they see, wow, these men are, are imitating. They've proven to have a faith that endures. And so as the NIV states, we always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before God and our Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope and our Lord Jesus Christ. 
I like the way NIV translates that uh, last phrase. Endurance inspired by hope. Our ability to endure is directly related to the hope that we have. People die without hope. Psychiatrist and Holocaust survivor Viktor Frankl famously pointed out in his book, Man's Search for Meaning, that we cannot always choose what happens to us, but we can choose how we respond to what happens to us. He found that prisoners in those, uh, prisoners of uh, uh, the uh, concentration camps who chose to have hope in the future, despite the dark circumstances of the concentration camps, they're the ones who had a much greater chance of survival. But those who had lost hope were ultimately doomed. People literally die without hope. As we saw in Hebrews chapter 11, faith is ultimately defined by hope. For faith is, is you know, believing in, in, in things that are unseen and having hope. And later in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 to 14, Paul encourages the Thessalonians who have seen some of their fellow church members die. He says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who do who, do, who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. The resurrection of Jesus gives us hope. And that hope allows us to endure. And our faith is defined by that hope. And our faith is ultimately demonstrated by our love for each other. Paul famously writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 after that wonderful description of what love is, he says, and these things, three things remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Why does he say that love is the greatest of these? Because what he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse eight, that love lasts forever. That love never ends. You see, faith is believing in what we cannot see, but one day Christ will return and we will see clearly. Today we see dimly, but then we will see clearly and all will be made known. Hope is is trusting in that which is yet to come, but when Christ returns, that hope will be realized. But love will endure to the end. Love will never end. Faith and hope will end because Christ will return and all will be made realized and there will be no need for hope because that hope has been realized and our faith will be realized. But love will continue to the end. That love relationship that we begin with God continues till the very, very end, until the end of time. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That is an eternal love that will encourage us and give us hope in the midst of hard times. In 2014, I was asked to do the funeral of a good friend of mine uh, from Houston. Uh, Mark was one of our primary Sunday school teachers. He was a very gifted teacher, a very wise young man. And he was a part of the singles ministry that I helped lead when I was the singles pastor at the First Presbyterian Church of Houston. Mark and I uh, would get together for lunch almost every month and we would talk about upcoming lessons that he was planning to teach. I would talk about upcoming sermons that I was preparing to preach. He would talk about uh, his, his uh, dating relationships. I would try to offer some advice. I mean, I was married, so I knew something about it, but I was, you know, I'm sure it was the best advice. <laughs> he never got married, so I probably didn't steer him in the right direction on that. But uh, everyone loved Mark. Mark was just a really kind, uh, gentle man who was very wise. But unfortunately, things started to go bad for Mark and Things went from bad to worse. And our relationship ended. He lost his job. And in the midst of some of this depression, unbeknownst to all of us, he was going through a real dark season and he chose to drive from Houston to San Francisco 
to jump off the Golden Gate Bridge. We were shocked that Mark, of all people, would commit suicide. A man who knew the word of God so well. Well, I was invited by a bunch of the singles. Hey, could you come back to do Mark's funeral? And I said, absolutely. I, I want to do all that I can to encourage our faithful brothers and sisters who are grieving the loss of Mark. Well, as our old singles class gathered in the chapel at the First Presbyterian Church of Houston, the, the funeral began with a, an opening prayer, and then we had a responsive reading from Psalm 23. And as we began to read Psalm 23, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I could hear people beginning to, to tear up and to cry, remembering some of the lessons that, well, that Mark had taught on Psalm 23 in the valley of the shadow of death. Fighting back tears, we then stood to, to sing what at the time was a new praise song. As we sang this song of faith, we began to wipe away those tears of eye, on our eyes. We affirmed these words of the Apostles' Creed, and that one day we found comfort in knowing that we would all see Mark again, for that is what we believe. One day I'll see Mark, and one day I'll see my grandparents. One day, I'll see my Uncle Ted. One day, I'll see my groomsman, Terry Kupfer, who died just last year. One day, I'll see all of our church members who have gone ahead of us in glory. One day, Christ will return, and there'll be a new heaven and a new earth, and every tear will be wiped away. There'll be no more cancer. There'll be no more struggle, no more pain, no more suffering, only praise. Yes, one day, all will be made right. We know that. From the empty tomb. If we lack faith, we should pray and turn to God's word so that we might remember the faithful promises of our God. If we lack love, we should turn to the cross of Christ and see just how much God loves us. And if we lack hope, we should turn to the empty tomb and remember the victory that he has won for all of us. Thanks be to God for the faith, hope, and love of the Thessalonians. May we seek to be imitators of them today. Please join me as we pray. God, we thank you that you're the God who is with us and for us in Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for that empty tomb. We thank you for the reality that Jesus has conquered sin and death on our behalf. We thank you that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Lord, we thank you for faith, hope, and love. We pray, Lord, that you might give us even more faith to be able to, to see all that you're doing in and through this world. We also pray, Lord, that we might be a conduit of your love. As we turn to the cross of Christ, we see how much you love us. Lord, help us to love others with the same unconditional, sacrificial love that you have shown to us. And Lord, as we have moments where it feels difficult to persevere and to be steadfast in our faith, Lord, help us to remember the empty tomb. Help us to remember that the victory has been won. Help us to remember that one day you will return and make all things right. For that, we give you our thanks and praise. And we pray that by your spirit, you would guide us to have the faith, hope, and love of the Thessalonians. Your sons